It's my pleasure to introduce um, a very good friend of River Life. Um, this is Don Wiggins, and he is our district superintendent here of the North Central District. I know. Oh, there you go. You got one huge fan in the back. Well, Probably and so, so Don has a very special relationship with, with River Life for a few reasons. One is he was actually the very first person outside Pengfo and I that we talked to about the church. Um, as the district superintendent, he was the one we, we set up a time. We walked into his, his office and we pitched the idea. He loved it so much, he poked his head out the door to the church planting director and said, Hey, Dave, you in your office? I want you to meet a couple people. And that was the birth of River Life. And, and, and one of the most amazing things that they said is that, that we were an answer to six years of prayer. Um, because they saw how, how much the second-gen Hmong have struggled here in the cities. And, and they, they longed for some people to, that God would rise up to, to lead them. And that's kind of what became us. Um, and he's also been a big fan of ours. He's come to numerous services. He's visited us in most of our various locations. And so it's a wonderful privilege um, to have him here to lead this ordination service and to tell you a little bit more about how ordination works within the district, within the church. And, and with that, I'm going to hand it on over to Don. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Um, <clears throat> I should just say a word about, uh, it's good to connect with our history, isn't it? To know how the church got started. Some of you are newer, and you don't know all that history, but it really is great to just see how God, I would say it this way respectfully, God's fingerprints have been all over this uh, from the very beginning, and uh, just how he has worked and given us a similar heart and a passion for what God was calling you to do and how God brought that into being. And then your various locations. I remember coming to Washington High School, uh, one of those locations. And, uh, and then to see how this building became uh, a facility for you and just to see what God is doing now, uh, it is just amazing. And when you have that sense of history, uh, you can really see what God has been up to and you can really bless his name and thank him. So if you've been here from the very beginning, you know a lot of that history. If you're more recent, you're going to create some of that history going forward, and you'll look back to days like this as special days in the life of the church. Uh, now, I, I have to tell you, I have one request that I think you'll agree with me about. I think Pastor Greg should wear his special mong suit every Sunday. Don't you think? That would be... <laughs> Yeah, let's hear it for that. Okay. Yeah. Even to the barbecue would be. <laughs> so, so if you can pull that off, that would be quite, quite something. Now, you might think that uh, what we do in an ordination service is like, like what is this? What, what, is, what, are they, what are they doing to him? Well, um, let me tell you what we're not doing. We're not conferring on Pastor Greg any kind of special... Uh, status or some kind of new grace that he's experienced. He, he doesn't have uh, something that he's going to dispense to you now because he's, uh, he's ordained. It's not like that. What ordination really is, is a recognition of God's call and God's equipping for him to be a spiritual leader among you. 
And that's the simplest way I can put it. So what we're doing today is recognizing what God has already done, all right? It's not like I'm here to confer any special status on him. You are allowed to call him Rev if you want to, like Reverend, so you could do that. But uh, he won't probably want that title. He'll want to be Pastor Greg. So, But uh, it is a recognition of what God has been doing in his life. And I'll tell you later some of the things that he went through and did in order to be recognized today in that way. But it's my privilege to bring the word this morning to you. And so I want you to know before I start the message that this sermon has two audiences, okay? One is all of you, that there'll be parts of this message that'll be designed for all of you. And then there are going to be a few places where I'll probably just address the second audience, which is Greg. And uh, I'll try not to drill holes through him with my eyes, like happened at my ordination service years and years ago. But I, I think it'll be, hopefully, the message of God's word is what'll stick with you. So I want to introduce the message by describing one of the most beautiful sights I have ever seen. I have seen a lot of things in our world, mountains and beaches and oceans and caves and forests and cities, all of which were very beautiful. But none of these sites was more beautiful than what I saw on a drive through Nebraska. Have any of you driven through Nebraska? Yes, you have. Okay, it's like get through that state as fast as you can, right? So this was in western Nebraska many years ago. On that July day, I was in a caravan with some other riders. We came out of a small town, and we drove up a gradual incline until we came to the top of a hill. And what we saw at the top of that hill made me stop the caravan and all of us get out of our cars in amazement. And here's what it was. It was a field of winter wheat only days from harvest. As far as the eye could see, in all directions were these ripened wheat fields. And except for a breeze that was kind of rustling across the top of the grain, it was absolutely silent. Just a whoosh of a breeze going through. It was a scene right out of the song that many of you have learned, America the Beautiful, about the amber waves of grain. This was the amber waves of grain. Well, we, we paused, and we drank in the view, and then we finally got back in our cars, and we drove on. Later, I thought about how did all that wheat come to be? <laughs> it came from seeds that were planted months earlier, back in the fall of the year. But let's suppose for a minute that those Nebraska farmers, back in the fall, had said something like this. It would be a horrible waste to let these seeds just die in the ground, and so let's keep them safe here in this seed bin. Would there have been any harvest if they had just hoarded the wheat seeds? No. The farmers know that when a harvest is anticipated, you first have to plant the seed in the ground and you have to let it die. And there, finally, it will spring forth in life. So those Nebraska farmers planted the seed in the fall. Spring wheat stalks sprang up from the ground 
And when those wheat kernels ripened in the month of July, they sent the combines through and they harvested all that grain. And maybe you have seen that even here or in our rural areas in Minnesota and other other states. This amazing cycle of death and life drew me to the words of Jesus that are found in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. If you have a Bible with you or a device that you want to use and you want to find John chapter 12, it'll be helpful if you look at it yourself. Let me read some verses to you from this passage. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. He replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loses his life, who loves his life, will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus knows that God created seeds of grain to multiply. And so all the disciples knew that. Those Greeks who were there that day inquiring of Jesus, they knew it. Everybody in that century understood how it worked. They were closer to the fields, closer to agriculture. We kind of forget that Sometimes when we go to the grocery store, we just pick up our our bread or whatever, and we forget where it came from. But they didn't. They knew it very clearly. But Jesus is not so much speaking about the physical seed as he is speaking in a figure of speech about himself. He's saying something about what he has to do, that he is the seed that must be planted in the ground and die. Please don't miss the remarkable irony that is found here in this passage. The irony is that life, in fact, multiplied life, comes into being through what? Through death. That life comes from death. That doesn't seem to make sense in a way, because we in our culture, in this Western culture, We go to extraordinary lengths to try to prolong life as far as possible. We want to preserve life, and we want to put off death as long as possible. But Jesus is contradicting here our notion about and our instinct to preserve life. He knows that he must die, and that his death will actually yield many new lives, so that life will come from death. Augustine, the great uh, theologian, said this, he himself was the grain that had to die and be multiplied, to suffer his death through the unbelief of the Jews and to be multiplied in the faith of many 
nations. I don't think Augustine here is blaming the Jews necessarily. Jesus had to die. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. But he's noting that Jesus' death is the means to multiplied faith through the gospel and that that life will go to the nations. Now, I pause just a minute to make an obvious kind of statement to you and a reminder. Do you, do you think sometimes, those of you who have grown up here in the United States, of how the gospel was taken from this country and came to places in the world where Hmong people lived? Not that many years ago, what is it, 60-some years ago, I think now, that the gospel came to the Hmong people. Through the death of Jesus came this multiplied life that the faith in the gospel of Christ could come from one place, it came to America, it came to other countries, and, and it came to where your ancestors lived. Death doesn't seem to be the way to life, does it? But ironically, death is exactly the way. In fact, it's the only way for life to come to the nations. But please don't think for a minute that death was easy for Jesus. Think about what he said in the next verse, 27. Now, he says, my heart is troubled. And what will I say? Father, save me from this hour? It goes through Jesus' mind that should he back out at the last minute? It's just days before he's going to the cross here in this passage. And then he says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So, Father, glorify yourself in your name. And so he does not shirk away from the death that he has to die. It was the very purpose for which he had come. And he embraces it. He understood the paradoxical power of his own death, that he would die on the cross for us for our sins. He would be dying the death that we deserve because the penalty for sin is what? Death. He dies the death that you and I deserved. But because he dies, many think of this, and all of us who know Jesus in this room today, we have received forgiveness of our sins through his death and his resurrection. And so Jesus is willing to embrace the horrible death that lay ahead of him. The hour for that had indeed come. Then he takes a turn and he applies this principle to the disciples. He, he puts a choice in front of his disciples. And I don't know whether you have noticed this in your own Bible study. I hope that when you read the New Testament and the life of Christ that you'll notice this fact. But Jesus is one of those people who deals with things in terms of either or. There's not a lot of different choices like middle ground choices for Jesus. He gives you two options and you have to choose. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either against me or you're for me. Over and over and over you'll see this in his discussions which deeply frustrated a lot of people who wanted to find wiggle room around some of the things he said. 
But here Jesus says this, you can choose to love your life, and if you love your life so much, it means everything to you, you will actually lose it. Or you can choose to hate your life in this world, and I'll explain that term in a minute, because it's jarring. What does he mean by that? But he says if you hate your life in this world, you will actually gain it for all of eternity. We don't want to be caught in that choice, do we? Isn't there some third option here, Jesus? But he says, this is the choice I have, and now he puts it in front of his disciples. He calls them to join him by giving up their lives as he gives up his for us. Isn't that interesting that Jesus puts it so bluntly in front of them? And so to those who make the choice to follow him in the way of death, death is not the end. Because look what he says in John 12, 26. He says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My servant will will also be. There's a future for the servant of God who takes the way of death. It's true, folks, that being where Jesus is now, that is, we are in the place that Jesus is, when we're in this place now, what does it mean for us? There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be hardship. This life, when you come to Jesus Christ, you get cleaned up and your life is radically transformed. But there are some things that happen that make life harder for you. Maybe harder with your family or your employer or your co-workers or students that you know. Because you're now saying, Jesus runs my life. Jesus is master. And so things can actually get tougher in this world. But what Jesus is talking about here is that we have to hate our lives in comparison to how much we love him. That in comparison to loving him and walking with him and going through the way of death that he went through, my life is nothing in comparison to that. And so it is if I hate my own life in comparison to how much I love him and how much he means to me. Jesus is not teaching you to hate yourself, but by loving your life so much that it's all about you, you lose it. But if you treat it as though it is if I hated it, I love him so much more than I gain it for all of eternity. Do you get that? That's an important part of the passage. And so he calls the disciples to give up their lives as he gave up his. What will be gained is the honor of the Father who bestows his honor on all those who follow Jesus in this way. All who come behind him and walk in his steps to death, then he will honor. And Jesus puts this choice in front of the disciples. And he asks them, so which way will you choose? Do you imagine that some of the disciples kind of went like, well, <clears throat> I don't know, I've got to think about that some more. 
I didn't think that's what I signed up for when I followed Jesus. I didn't know he was going to ask me to die. I just wanted the, the joys and the blessings of following him. And, and now he's calling me to die? That's a tough choice. So as he puts that choice in front of us, let me apply the principle to ourselves. And I'm going to ask you three questions, and you can answer them. They're not questions I can answer for you or anybody else can answer for you in the room. You have to answer them for yourself. The first question is this. If death was the pathway for Jesus and his disciples back then, isn't death the path for us today who are his disciples now? in the 21st century. Has anything changed? Is Jesus still calling us to walk this way of death? Now the question has in mind more than a physical death. Most of us in this room are not going to be asked to die for our faith as Christians. I don't think we're quite at that point in our culture. It may happen. But do you know that there are a lot of people in our world today who are and have died rather than turn from their faith in Jesus? You do know that, don't you? In your own history, that is the case overseas. The focus, though, I think of what Jesus is saying here is on an inner dying. I want you to think of the enormous cost that Jesus paid to come here to be our Savior. Paul wrote that he did not tightly hold on to what it meant for him to be with the Father, but he emptied himself and became a servant down here on this planet. The question then about us asks us if there is a sacrifice like that that we're willing to make, to put all of the ugly forms of selfishness that are in us to death. To put to death our pride, our cherished ambitions, our personal rights, I will have it. The lust for power, position, to be important. I think that's what Jesus is calling for here, is a death to those things. And while I say this to all of us, I say this to Pastor Greg as well, to myself, there is a dying that has to take place in us if we're ever going to have a crop. <laughs> Maybe it's also death to the confidence in all human wisdom and strength and every vain thought that we have that we can help out God. You know, that God needs me to help him out. You know, he can't do his work in the world without my help. So I will serve God, but I will serve him more as an advisor than anything else, because he needs my advice on how to run the universe. <laughs> Ever think that way? Probably not quite like that, but don't you kind of feel that way sometimes? Like, Lord, if you just would listen to me, this could get straightened out in a certain way. Maybe it's death that involves laying down our own strategies, our own schemes, our own projections. Don't those need to die as well? So the question asks, if I'm willing to give up myself 
for the sake of obeying Christ. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, constantly moves us toward this kind of death. His role is to move us to that kind of death so that what can happen? So that we can be raised in Christ and the Spirit can fill us with the divine presence and power and use us for the glory of Christ. So the Holy Spirit, I don't have to be the one to convince you. You, by the Holy Spirit, under the Spirit's influence, will come at some point. He will keep moving you to that point where all of us dies to ourselves, to what we want. And so let me ask you nicely as a friend, have you died yet? You'll not really live until you die. That's what this passage seems to be saying. So here's the second question for Greg, for all of us. If new life is the product of such a death, then what's the life-giving ministry that God has for you? Okay, It's not about staying dead in the ground. It's about coming back to life. Christ calls us not only to die to ourselves, but to produce new life, like that seed that is in the ground. It, it doesn't just lay there in the ground. It bears fruit. It comes back to life. So we rise with Christ in his resurrection. We are new creations. We are newly created in Christ to give life to others who do not yet have it. So can I ask you how and where and when and to whom are you called to give life, to bear fruit? What, what's your life-giving ministry as a follower of Christ who's, who's died with him in his death and been raised with him in his life? What is your life-giving ministry to people around you? You know, folks, the longer that you follow Jesus Christ, here's what can happen. And it happens to pastors, it happens to me. We can end up living our lives in what I call the Christian bubble. You know what I mean? We can spend most of our time, day after day, week after week, with our Christian friends. And we're inside that little bubble. And the people who don't know Jesus Christ, we gradually kind of withdraw from them and pull away until we don't know them anymore. Former friends, people that we look down our noses at and we say, I don't think I want to be a friend with that person because of their habits or whatever. And we retreat into the Christian enclave, the Christian community, and that becomes our whole world. I could do that. I have to really work at it to have relationships with neighbors and friends. The challenge is to be life-giving disciples. We don't hoard God's blessings for ourselves. We are to give them away. So what new steps would Christ have in your life to be a life-giving disciple? I think that's part of the question Jesus is asking here. Let's turn now to the third question. If death is the way to multiplied life, one seed, many grains, 
then what multiplying ministry does God have for you? Not only giving a single life, but multiplied life. What, what does God have for you? Do you know that because Jesus died so long ago, there is a mega harvest of souls that is being gathered from all over the world into his kingdom, who experience eternal life through him. He desires to produce not just a little small number through each of us, but that through each of us there would be a multiplied harvest of lives now and forever who are Christ followers. And the question here challenges me, challenges you to be a multiplier. Right, Greg? To be a multiplier of new disciples, of new leaders, of new sent ones who go to other cultures, other areas of our world. To do that involves, for some of you, prayer. So maybe God is calling you to be a multiplier in prayer. Some of you are called to do this through community outreach. And so your, your food shelf and the other ways in which you connect with this community, those are ways to multiply. Some of you work with kids, with children or with teens, and you are trying to multiply the life of Christ that he's given you in to them through your influence. They have to come to faith, but it's perhaps through your influence. Or maybe some of you in this room today are discipling younger ones, people who are new in the faith. You're mentoring someone who is a relatively new believer. Maybe it's sharing our faith with somebody that we don't even know. Or maybe it is giving our, our, of our funds to say, I'd like to invest in Envision or some other kind of ministry where God can multiply the effect. <clears throat> Perhaps in this room even is someone God is going to call or has called already to leave America and go to another culture as what we call a missionary, a cross-cultural representative of Christ. But in some way, God is calling every one of his people who have been redeemed by Christ to be multipliers. That in our spheres of influence, Christ could use us to multiply his life. Are you set on that in your own life, to be a multiplying Christian? To multiply the life that Jesus has given you? <clears throat> Let me tell you a story that illustrates, I think, the whole point of this sermon. A story that I heard in person from Dr. Philip Tung, who is the sort of the, <clears throat> the father of Alliance Chinese Ministries. Dr. Tung was in Hong Kong. God met him in an unusual way is quite a story. He planted churches in Hong Kong, became a seminary teacher and producer of many, many students who affected the church in China and in Hong Kong and in the U.S. as well. And Dr. Tung told this story. He's kind of the father of the Chinese Alliance. There are are 70-some Alliance churches in the United States that are Chinese, and many of them have their origin either from him directly or indirectly through students that he taught. Dr. Tung told a story about life back in China. <clears throat> he said there was a certain region in China where a drought hit the area. The heavens dried up, the ground was becoming parched, the crops were wilting, they were stressed by the heat and the lack of water. 
And so the farmers, day after day, would go out and look to the heavens and see there was no rain, just heat. They saw their crops wilting. They got desperate. Well, there was one farmer in that community who had a natural spring on his property. He had an underground spring. And that underground spring flowed water, whether it rained or it didn't rain, whether it was hot or not. Up came the water. And he had channeled that spring so that some of its water would run down the trenches of his fields. And he so designed it that way. And so here are all of these farmers around whose fields are dying. And here's this one farmer whose fields are green and lush because they have water. And so finally a neighbor came over in desperation one day and asked the farmer that had the water. He said, would you allow me to build a little trench from your property across the dike and the, the berm over to my property so that some of the water on your property would flow over to my fields and my crops would live. What do you think the farmer said? He said, no. I won't allow you to just build one trench to your property. However, if you will go to the other side of your field and dig another trench to your neighbor's field, then you may do that. You can build one ditch here and one ditch here, and the water will flow eventually to you and to your neighbor, and maybe the neighbor will do the same. Dr. Tung's point was that many of us as Christians are one-ditch Christians. We like the water as it flows from Christ to us, and it, we're green and lush and satisfied and happy in Jesus. But that misses the point of becoming a two-ditch Christian. Water flows to you, but how about digging a ditch to somebody else and letting the life of Christ flow to them as well? So he said, don't be a one-ditch Christian, be a two-ditch Christian. I love that story because it's so simple. It's, it's so obvious. But isn't that what Jesus is really saying in so many words here? We have to die to ourselves. We receive his life. He produces fruit in us. And then what's supposed to happen? We're just happy that we have the fruit. No, we need to give it away. We need to see it multiplied in the lives of others. Our neighbors who don't have the river of life. That's your name, isn't it? River life? Maybe that's a good illustration for us to think of ourselves as being two-ditch Christians, not just a single-ditch receiving all that Jesus has, but giving it away after we've received it. I think you can tell that that's my point for Pastor Greg as well, that he would be among us he would be a life-giving leader, Pong Fu by his side, serving you so very, very well. I don't feel like I can, I have a whole lot I need to say to, to pull your, your chain on this one, Greg, because it's, it's already how you guys live, all right? But I just want to emphasize again, 
Maybe it's the multiplication. Maybe it's the two-ditch idea that will stick with you of giving your life, what Jesus has given to you guys, giving it to others and passing it on in a variety of ways. And then, folks, what you see in them giving it away becomes a lesson to all of you to say, I can do that too. I can dig a ditch from my life to somebody else's life and let the blessings of Christ flow to them. It isn't up to the pastor and a pastor's wife to do all that or for the staff to do all of that. It's everybody's responsibility. It's all of our job because Jesus isn't calling just pastors here. He's calling ordinary guys who are his disciples to do this. And so I think we're all, we're all in John chapter 12. This speaks to all of us to be that kind of a Christian. And so I urge that upon you today as an older guy who's been around a long time, I just want to urge you to get into the multiplying business and be a multiplier of Christ's life. I'm glad you've received Jesus, but give him away in that sense. Give his life to others so that they too will be part of the great mega harvest at the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, and then we'll have... Uh, time to celebrate Greg's ordination. So, Lord, it's relatively easy for us on a day like this to kind of sit back and politely salute the words of Christ and kind of say, okay, that's, that's good. It's probably a good thing for Pastor Greg. And maybe some other people here needed to hear that. But, Lord, I would ask that you would help all of us all of us, to hear the words of Jesus. That all of us would answer the question. That all of us would come to that point, even today in 2018, to that point that he was leading his own disciples in AD 30 or whatever year it was. I pray, Lord, that you will bring us all to that place where we want Christ's life to be multiplied out from us to a world that still does not know him. Would you do that for your glory and for your honor? I pray this in Jesus' name and for the glory of the Father that it may be revealed in us. Amen. Amen. Let's shift gears a little bit and let me tell you what we put Pastor Greg through to get him to this point. Um, I don't think you had a lot more hair the day I met you than you do now, but I, I was going to make a joke about loss of hair, but I don't think that would work here. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, what Pastor Greg had to do was, uh, and I won't go through each of the requirements, there's a, a long list, but the main things that he had to do, or he had to actually think about his doctrine and his beliefs. And he had to write those out in six position papers. And a couple of them he reworked a little bit because there were some interaction and dialogue about them and he added some thoughts and fleshed it out a little bit differently in a few cases. He had to read a sequence of books that um, required him to investigate things like uh, the Holy Spirit's work and prayer and missions and those kinds of things, who Jesus is, the history of the Christian Missionary Alliance. 
Now, I want to tell you, Greg, you got off easy. When I was ordained many years ago, it was on scrolls. And we just, <laughs> no, 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 not really. <laughs> not really. But I had to read a book called Things to Come by a, a guy who had a great name. His name was Pentecost, J. Dwight Pentecost. The book was, I'm not exaggerating, about five to 600 pages long. And I had to write a, a, a big uh, sort of review and summary of that book. 16 pages, as I recall, of that one book. And that wore me out, let me tell you, doing that. You got off easy, in a sense. Um, but what we try to do is narrow down the requirements to really make them meaningful and not just busy work. Uh, Greg had to be recommended by leadership. He had to read the scriptures in a couple different uh, translations. Uh, he was interviewed not once, but twice. And uh, then he had, a, he had a written exam that he had to take as well. Closed Bible exam. How'd you like to do that? Several hours of writing with your Bible closed. You can't look up the verses. You just have to remember things. And uh, he did very well in his work, I want to tell you. Uh, he did a great job. And I will just say this to you all. I'm proud of him that he did a, such a good job. So... <clears throat> So I hope I can be proud in the right way, right? Without, yeah, I think so. So we just delight in how God is, has worked up to this day. So uh, that's what he had to do to come to this point. He was checked out by those six other pastors who formed the ordination council, and they interviewed him and walked him through all the different questions, and, and uh, people get a little frightened by that exam, and, uh, but you did well in your exam. So thank you, Greg, for that. So family behind uh, Greg, you can be very proud of him too today. That, uh, and I wonder, I wanted to ask you this before, but did you ever see this coming? No. No, okay. <laughs> they were very kind. They didn't shake their head. You answered for them. <laughs> but probably not. Um, but we are thankful that this day has come. So Greg, would you come? We'll have Pong Fu come in a couple minutes, but Greg, would you just stand here beside me? Uh, there are vows of ordination that we ask each of our ordinands to respond to. Now, when you were married, did you say vows? Those of you who are married, did you say vows to each other? You did. Okay, that's good. So these are the second most important vows that you've, that you've said. Those were the most important, okay? Uh, I have to just tell you very quickly, when my wife and I were married many years ago, um, the, the church had no air conditioning. We got married in June on a Saturday, and so the windows were open, and this was right by O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And we had memorized our vows. I said my vows, she said her vows back to me, but as she was saying her vows, a plane was going overhead. And so, folks, I still don't know what she said. <laughs> I could see her lips moving, but I, I don't know what she actually said. But... Uh, so she said her vows to me, I said her vows, and you've, you've done the same as well. These vows are really not vows to me. These are really, hopefully your responses will be things that you can say honestly before God. These are my responses. So um, there are several of them. So Greg, are you persuaded that you are truly called to the ministry of the gospel by the will of Jesus Christ? Yes. Good. That would be a problem if you, if you didn't feel it. Okay. So do you accept the 
Doctrine, the Government, and Fellowship of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and purpose to engage in the dissemination of the gospel in its fullness, the promotion of a deeper and higher Christian life, and the work of missions, especially among unreached peoples here and uh, all across our world, and thereby hasten the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. Good. Are you persuaded that the scriptures contain all that is required for salvation through faith in Christ? And are you determined that you will instruct the people here committed to your charge so that they too can enter into eternal life? Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Now, do you purpose in your own life to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of your walk with the Lord, to keep yourself unspotted from the world, to live a life of purity of heart and of prayer? so that you can minister to other people of that which you've received yourself by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm here to represent the ordaining council of the North Central District and to um, recognize before you and your friends and family here today that we do ordain you, set you apart for ministry, the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I love this suit. I, love this. I do think you should wear it every Sunday. There we go. Yeah, I really do. I'll just rotate the pants. Okay. <laughs> so what I'd like to do now is we'd like to have prayer for you and Pong Fu. So Pong Fu, if you would come and stand next to Greg. And then I'm going to ask other ordained pastors here, the leadership team of the church, if you will come and join us here. We're going to pray. Kyle Mogstadt is going to pray, and then I'll pray. But please just come right up from where you are and join us here if you're on the leadership team. However you define that, I think they know. Uh, so they'll come and join us here. Just stand behind him and Pong Fu, and you can lay hands upon them, and we'll pray for both of them that God will bless them. So, Kyle, would you lead us first? Yeah. Jesus, we thank you and praise you today for the invitation that you have given each of us to new life in you. We thank you especially for Pastor Greg and the way that he responded initially uh, to your invitation of life in you and also how this response to your invitation has ex extended to his ministry Jesus, you have gifted him with great gifts. You have given him a wonderful personality. You've fashioned him and wired him in such a way. And Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the ways that you have invited him to bring his whole self into your service. And we thank you, Jesus, that Greg has responded to that with a yes. A yes, it's not just true because of today, but it's true because we've all seen it and experienced it. The love and grace of you, Jesus, through your work in and through Pastor Greg. We thank you, Jesus, for that response. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I want to pray especially, Lord Jesus, for these next years, this next season. We pray for an increased fruitfulness, mm -hmm. for an increased depth of your Spirit's work in and through Pastor Greg and through River Life Church. 
Jesus, we can do nothing on our own. And, and even as we ordain Greg today, there's a recognition that all that he can do is through your strength and your power and your might. And so we pray that you'd fill him with your spirit mm. to accomplish all the tasks that you have for him to do. Mm. Thank you for his friendship. And um, bless him in Jesus' name. Lord, we are grateful to you that we can stand together as a family here today. And the one who is most pleased by all of this is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is Christ who has called Greg and Pong Fua to himself and has redeemed them through his precious work on Calvary and his resurrection. And it's the ascended Christ who gives gifted ones to the church, gives pastor teachers to the church. So you have given uh, Greg to this church along with Pong Fua to serve and to teach and to mature the disciples who are here so that they too will not uh, be bounced around by every wave of strange teaching, but they will remain true to the word of God to what is true and right. And I pray, Lord, for them now that you will strengthen them for this work, that you will continue to deepen in their lives their awareness of who you are, what you have done, of your power and your presence, your promises, that they will be aware, Lord, of the Spirit's power on a daily basis, strengthening, encouraging, activating them for the ministry that you have. Will you bring, Lord, into full fruitfulness all the gifts that you have placed in their lives? Will you, Lord, develop in them the wisdom and the maturity and the discernment to be spiritual leaders who can guide and encourage and raise up the generations that are coming along? I pray, Lord, that you will keep their marriage strong, that you will guard their lives individually and together. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing even now to equip them and to bring out every good work that you have done in their life, to bring it out in a, in a fruitful manner here at River Life Church. So, Lord, we merely ask you today to keep doing what you've been doing, to complete your work in them until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we set this man aside with his wife to serve you as uh, spiritual leaders here, and we dedicate them to your work and to you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We have some gifts that we want to give you. And folks, if you want to just uh, give it up for them one more time, I think that would be good. So first of all, behind every ordained man who's married, at least there is a woman who has done a lot of work, and so we have some flowers for you just to say thank you, Pong Fu, just a, a little gift that says thank you that we recognize your part too. So this, Greg, is a certificate of ordination that's suitable for framing if you do those kinds of things. Uh, there's a card here. And then one more thing, this is a gift for your library. So you can do a few online resources, whatever you do 
This will help you build up that, that library of resources. So we just want to say thank you to you. And uh, thank you folks for loving them and uh, working alongside them. They can't do it alone, and they know that full well. So thank you for joining together as part of the body of Christ. So if you want to say anything, you have the, the opportunity to do that now. Well, thank you, Don. There we go. Am I on? There we go. So thank you, Don. For, um, this is not actually the first time I've been called reverend. Uh, back in high school, my junior year in high school, I, was in, I took Latin in high school like any good geek should. Um, and so I was in Latin class. It was before class began. And my, I was discussing with a friend the role of the church in a school. And our church had advertised recently in the school, and this guy didn't like it, and I liked it, and we were having a discussion, sort of a church and state, school and church discussion. And when the bell rung, the teacher wanted to get everyone's attention, and she looked over, and she could hear this, this argument we were having, and she said, Reverend Rhodes, go sit down, take your seat. Well, that name stuck, and I became known as Reverend Rhodes to my Latin teacher, Michelle Sella, Miss Sella as we all called her, for the next two more years. I was called Reverend Rhodes. Um, well, I've actually looked her up and found her. I'm going to, she still teaches Latin. I'm going to reach out to her and, and let her know that I am actually now Reverend Rhodes. <laughs> and I also want to thank you for, and to do that, I want to go back about seven years. Um, I was in youth ministry, as many of you know, I was in youth ministry for a number of years. I loved it. But this was, this was a difficult time, a difficult season in ministry for me. Uh, I was feeling very alone and discouraged. Um, and there were a couple thoughts that I had that, that part of where that discouragement came from. First was I longed to be a part of an amazing team. I was very much on my own and being a white guy in Hmong church, I sort of live feeling on my own and, and feeling alone and feeling like I didn't have a whole lot of support. And I'm a guy who loves to do ministry and, and work with people around me. Um, and, and I was feeling very alone. And I, I even remember watching the first season or two of Glee when it first came out. And, and, and I would cry watching some of the episodes because I saw what an amazing team they had, and I longed for that. And I didn't, genuinely didn't think that I might ever have that type of team. Well, fast forward seven years, and I am a part of a team that are some of the best people I have ever worked with. As people who love God and love their church and are amazing at what they do. Um, and I love every time we get, we get together for meetings. Um, and I love every time we get to talk about what ministry at River Life is, is like. So I, I, am, I especially thank our ministry team for all of you who um, <laughs> kind of gave me what I longed for for so many years. And I wasn't sure it would ever happen. It was an amazing group of people to be around to serve God and serve the church. So that was one longing that I had. Another one that I had was... I longed to be a part of a church where people loved coming to church. Um, I, I've been a part of a number of churches over the years, and I've enjoyed, and I've loved being a part of every one of them. And, it, and it, that's why it, it was so painful to watch 
high school, junior hires, high school, college students come to church and, and not love the church they come to. They might love the people they come to. They might love their, their youth pastors, and, or it, but, but it wasn't a church. They came because their parents forced them to. They came because they felt they should. They, they came because the Bible said you should. And, but, they, but it was hard. And, and I longed to say year after year, I longed for a church where people loved coming to church. And now we have, we're, we're coming up on four years now, and this is a church full of people who love coming to church. <laughs> and they love river life, and they, they want to bring friends to church because they love it. So I want to thank all of you because so many of you love coming to church, and you love, you love being here, and I love that. And I longed to see that for so many years. And my guess is your heart had longed for that as well. So thank you to all of you who love being here. And if this is your first day here, hopefully you've loved the one service you've been a part of. Um, so for that, I love you and I thank you um, for letting me be your shepherd and your pastor. Um, and, and going along on this ride of trying something none of us have ever really tried before. So thank you. Thank you for being River Life. Um, early on, I chose to use the word the River Life family as how I would describe this body. Um, and you hear me say it almost every week. And so thank you for being, being my family and our family. Um, every Sunday and Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Fridays and all the other days <laughs> where we are family together. So thank you. Um, and with that, um, I know we're running a little long. Did you want to close? Or should we wrap up? Okay. Let, let's wrap up on that. A big thank you to say that I love you all. Um, and I am going to close with the way I love to close every week uh, as a way to bless you. Um, and now I, I do have to say I'm quite disappointed. I expected I would gain some superpowers being ordained. They were told me I, I was going to level up and, like, like my benediction would, would have extra bonus on it. I, I, I'd bonus up my, my benediction points, but, but thankfully I'm not the one who blesses you. God is the one who overflows blessing to you as we follow and obey him. So I close with this as I do every single week. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So thank you. We've got some cake. We've got cupcakes. It's going to be a party out there, so let's all get jacked up on some sugar. And all you parents, I apologize, but suckers, you got to take them home. So thank you, everyone. Thank you.